This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Bigley. Today's top story is coronavirus, but I'm going to skip that for a minute because I'm fascinated with the pardons and commutations. Trump actually rolled out 11 pardons and commutations yesterday. So I had the breaking news about the three most noteworthy ones, or I thought they were the three most noteworthy ones. Bernard Carrick, who had been the 9-11 police or the police commissioner of New York on 9-11. So that's got to be a fishy dude. I mean, no doubt about it. And Bush repaid him like he repaid so many other people, I think, by offering him the secretaryship of Homeland Security straight out of the gate. And I actually recall that now, or at least recall reading this guy's story. He withdrew from nomination because he had this scandal brewing where he was engaged in tax fraud and other stuff like that. So he got pardoned and Trump and Giuliani are were big in New York at that time. That doesn't surprise me. I don't like it, but it doesn't surprise me. The other one was Rod Blagojevich, who surprised me, although it shouldn't have because he had been on my mind lately, really railroaded, I think, for allegedly trying to sell Obama's Senate seat. And it was just quid pro quoing in politics, which is the norm if not the exclusive way that politics operates. I mean, I think it might be the exclusive way yeah, that a, politics Yeah, a president operates. that doesn't do that is not going to get very much done. It's not even a president. I mean, he was an Illinois governor. I mean, obviously in Illinois it works that way, but I think it works that way everywhere. That's I think you standard. don't get anywhere. And supposedly all he was asking for was a campaign contributions. So it's really how it works, how it works, works. Yeah. They're and all, he, yeah. but. When he was interviewed, he said, they said, like, what do you think? How do you feel? Whatever. And he said, well, I can tell you this, because the Ill- Democrat Illinois governor objected. He actually said you shouldn't let him out, which is crazy. It's totally ridiculous that he's still in jail. So, of course, he called himself, and he coined a phrase, in my opinion, a Trumpocrat. I did hear that. And the reporting on the left about these pardons, you would have thought that Trump brought Ted Bundy and Charles Manson <laughs> back to life and pardoned them the way they were talking about this story. Yes, yes, I saw that. And I, I think the the one about the 49ers guy, oh, this was my correction from yesterday. The former owner of the 49ers who had to was convicted and had to pay restitution for failing to report being extorted. So the guy wanted <laughs> to open a business. He wanted to open a casino in Louisiana, Riverboat Casino, and the governor of Louisiana extorted money from him, said, oh, yeah, you can't open your business without giving me mine. So it's what Rod Blagojevich supposedly did, but the, it, he was just a guy trying to make business. I hate that stuff. I never think anybody who even bribes a government official should be the one who's in trouble for it. That person doesn't have the public trust, and for all we know— this quid pro quoing is the government official violating his public trust just to personally gain from his power. I think if you're forced to bribe somebody to get your business approved, what I mean, it's almost like it should be their burden to prove that you could have done it on the up and up because I'm thinking you really can't because that's how business works. But anyway, I had said yesterday that that guy served jail time for it, but he did not. And there are two other things about that that are Let's new. hear it. Okay. One of the people he pardoned, I did not know this, was Michael Milken. 
Michael Milken was the junk bond king back in the day, and he went to jail and had to pay a lot of money for some funny business there. And he did do the funny business, although I think the penalty was egregious. And I actually was a high-yield banker who worked at the place that kind of picked up the pieces from his company, which went bankrupt. And then there was another one that kind of emerged from the ashes, and I worked there. And what high-yield bonds do is they give like medium, mid-sized, privately owned companies the ability to access the capital markets with loans instead of having to give away half their equity or whatever. In my opinion, it, he had much more of a good impact on the world than a bad. But um, I, I don't doubt that he did bad things and that, that like, I could be wrong, but I don't think his conviction was wrong. And he's not like he's getting out of jail. He did not... Uh, one thing I was curious is like, is this just now can he go back into finance? But he cannot. So it's really just a an honorary thing. And of course, you know, the New York connection is always prominent in my mind. These guys are scratching each other's backs. But there's one I can't figure out. He commuted the sentence of a woman called Judith Negron. She got 35 years for the biggest Medicaid fraud case in history. Hundreds of millions of dollars of of charging Medicaid for mental health services for people who were basically vegetables, people who were in, in unable to interact. So hundreds of millions of dollars. And for, for some reason, uh, Trump or the people who advocate for this said that the sentence was just too long. I mean, there are people who go to jail for drug offenses where everyone involved wants to engage in the transaction. They want to buy the drugs. They want to sell the drugs. They want to use the drugs. They pay each other. There's nothing. There's no violation of real law there. And they go to jail forever. She's stealing our money by lying and defrauding and who knows what else. And she's, you know, aw, aw. So that just... Maybe I, he appreciated I, I need her, to be convinced her entrepreneurial effort. Well, that would be consistent with his entrepreneurial effort because his father built an empire on getting Congress congressional money and Trump benefited from skirting casino licensing laws right. himself. So no, that I basically my mind and the DC post office is another thing. Both of these stories fold into some border wall stuff I have. But the D.C. post office that is making Trump a bundle was a government property that he basically made a windfall by getting an undermarket contract out of. Yeah, his uncle also got Tesla's papers in the 50s and developed X-ray machines and was credited with curing cancer at one point in a 1950s newspaper. But we don't talk about the things that are really there. We only talk about the I, things right, that are Right, deep state, there. government connections. I know. I mean, the, the Trump thing— Having a phone call with some guy in Ukraine to withhold money we shouldn't be sending in the first place to investigate a truly corrupt politician isn't the first thing I'd Trump I'd impeach Trump for. Yeah, it's not the first angle I would go either. <laughs> so, but alas, we have come to the time in the show when it gets hijacked by coronavirus news. It has spread and it has infected <laughs> the show. Our show has been completely infected. We're getting corona pneumonia. How, how do you <laughs> like my pneumonia. hazmat suit? <laughs> I'm totally, uh, I'm succumbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little uncomfortable, but at least I'm safe. <laughs> There's so much news that comes out about this every day that's just baffling. Like today, this is less baffling. This is more expected, but we'll get to the baffling stuff. 
the first story I see this morning about the coronavirus is that scientists get together and they all say that the rumors that the coronavirus originated in a Wuhan lab, these conspiracy theories do nothing but create fear, and these scientists stand together condemning these conspiracy theories that the COVD does not have a natural origin. Just 27 scientists have come together to take a stand, all 27 of them. Are they climate scientists? They're probably. <laughs> because you know how like, they say 5,000 scientists object to climate change or say climate change, and it's like, are biologists really qualified to make those? You know, it's not meteorologists or whatever. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right, and this is a dialectic with Tom Cotton. He came back, and he talked again oh, about yeah, the possibility. Oh, yeah, we talked about that in an earlier yeah, show. That the Wuhan thing should be questioned because there's a bioweapons lab there, and now, no, no, it can't be questioned. Even though we've made a Wuhan virus, we've made one exactly like they've described back in 2015. What this dialectic does, regardless of it, there's a possibility that this it was made in a Wuhan lab thing actually becomes part of the story if they want to condemn China and blame them to create some uh, war fervor. But even if it doesn't, the thing, the underlying thing that results from it was made in a lab. No, you're crazy. Is the fact that China has in Wuhan they have a bioweapons lab where they develop deadly bioweapons that they could spread to the world without any regulation, unlike us. That's what was so crazy about what Tom Cotton said. I saw reports about that, but I had no way to verify it. I saw pictures of it with Chinese writing. I had no way to verify that information until Tom Cotton got on the Fox Sunday morning and verified it, yep. or at least stood behind it as yeah. somebody in the know who's in the government. And I was like, oh, they do? I didn't even, I just dismiss, I dismiss that conspiracy theory because I couldn't verify it. Right. Yeah, exactly. But now <laughs> now that's been confirmed as true. So in the future, that can be used as a way to create war fervor. China's got this bioweapons lab. We don't know what they're doing. We're being held back by this restrictive legislation. They don't have any legislation. They can just push forward and create better weapons than us. We need to we need to skip the legislation part of it. We need to develop some more bioweapons or whatever kind of weapons to fight them. Suspending le re legislation, legal constraints and all that is definitely a part of this story that I have a few little line items. I'll just give you that one first, which is the it was in, in the newspaper today, clinical trials for the U.S. antiviral that they're trying to use for coronavirus is going unexpectedly slow because the standards for how to make a truly controlled study uh, make it almost impossible to actually do the study. You had to find people who have it at the certain stage who haven't taken any other remedies, which I think I don't believe that it's impossible to find that because they're they're incubating it in this quarantine situation anyway, but it echoes one of the action items for Event 201, the live simulated coronavirus from the World Economic Forum that was developed in October of 2019. So one of the things was that we need to put into place ways to streamline and accelerate experimental vaccines by and pulling back legal and regulatory uh, restraints and engage in population level mass production. So, you know, you got to get your mind around that. They're saying we can't really test these vaccines properly. So we should do it anyway, take the rules away and parallel at the same time, make sure we can mass produce and distribute them. I mean, that is right. on the agenda and these right. articles feed into that. Absolutely. And 
piggybacking off of that, there's a little bit of we're going to show that the individual personal responsibility doesn't work and the clamping it down, like Chinese authoritarianism, watching, tracking everybody, might be what we have to do as well. And I'll tell you about why in here in a second, because yesterday the coronavirus, not the coronavirus, I was going to say the coronavirus was allowed to leave quarantine off of the ship. And that, in a sense, is true. The coronavirus was allowed to leave quarantine in the ship because they started letting the passengers that were stuck on the Diamond Princess for two weeks in quarantine off of the ship, despite the fact that every single day, like a hundred more passengers show a positive test. And every single day, officials say more and more, this was a disaster. This was a failed experiment. One official said that. And this was an incubator, this ship, and it just spread the disease around. That's one of the most contagious places to have a virus is on a ship. Why do they do this? This was dumb. So even though that's the consensus now and the numbers still continue to go up every day, the news is they're letting everybody off the ship and they're letting them in Japan. One, they're letting them free in Japan. Will they have to? Oh, they're letting them free in Japan. Yeah, they're, that, that, that's they're letting them free in Japan, and then they're dispersing the others to the fifty countries that were represented oh on the fifty countries. <laughs> so when that little girl is in her isolation ward, watching the path of the virus on TV, like on Santa tracker, and his reindeer, corona, yeah, virus tracker, NORAD. <laughs> this is the moment, <laughs> right? So they incubated this virus on this ship. And 50 countries soaked it in, and now they're sending them all home to go spread it around all parts of the globe. But in China, not China, in Japan. So in China, you, you can't walk out the house without a drone flying in front of your face saying, where's your mask? Where's your mask? Go home, little girl. I mean, they will track you everywhere you go. They knock on the door. They are checking people's fever themselves, knocking on the door, which a cough or a fever can get you just locked up, basically. In Japan, however, where this ship was outside quarantine for two weeks, the people who got off the ship, they're letting them go free. And they can get they get into cabs, and they can go travel around and do whatever. They're going to receive phone calls. They get papers stating that they their last test was positive or whatever. So let, yeah, me, see your, let me see your papers. Kind right. of like the, but these people are going to be free to their own decisions, and they will get calls from the healthcare officials to check on to see if they've developed any symptoms. There will be people that go AWOL. And when people go AWOL, there's going to be panic. And then one of them – this is my prediction anyway. I hope it's not true, but this is where I think it's going. One of them will turn up with a positive test who went AWOL, and it will be shown that this person spread it to other people. And this will be held up as, a, as an example of he had the personal responsibility to tell us that he had a symptom. He went AWOL. We have to enact stricter regulations like China to take control of this. I've been – Thinking a little bit about not not giving a great deal of thoughts. So I'm sure there are people out there, libertarians listening, who probably yelled at the radio or whatever our, our podcast yesterday because I like didn't hit on all of the answers to how a libertarian would handle this problem. But just as you're speaking, I'm thinking, first of all, these things, they're not actually super duper contagious. Like it's the flu. This is just a flu. Like maybe it's hard or whatever, but it's just a flu. Coronavirus is a flu. It's a strain of coronavirus. That's all. So it's about within six feet of each other. If somebody coughs, sneezes or talks and some of their particulates get into your face holes, you could get sick. Now, if they, if they, that's the vast majority of cases work like that. Some right under that, but a distant second is where someone 
gets that particulates on their fingers and touches a doorknob, you touch the doorknob, and then you touch your face holes. That's a very distant second. What never happens is that somebody prepares the food and you eat it and get it. That does not happen. But what the the issue with the libertarian viewpoint is, first of all, you can protect yourself a lot from that. In addition, if somebody comes into your community or family or whatever and they're acting recklessly, Praxeology, the concept that we've talked about before that Ludwig von Mises used to talk about, where what actually happens? What does actually happen in a free society? Well, I tell my kids to, I, I prevent flu from spreading in my own house. I tell people, the kids that have to cordon themselves off, don't touch each other, don't hug each other, whatever. People will, and if you are a jerk, people will ostracize you. They will label you. They will gossip about you. All of that stuff comes together. But the most important thing is that the government itself incubated this thing. It was the government force to make you do something that was wrong. There was an, there was a sentence today, a quote in the wall street journal, a doctor, a longtime primary care physician happened to be on the diamond princess. And his quote was this, I knew they were doing everything wrong. Quote, they put us in a Petri dish to get infected. That is what he said. And you and I said yesterday, I, 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 you might have said incubated. I said Petri dish. We nailed this language because it was so obvious from us lay people thousands of miles away that what they were doing was stupid. And here, and not only does he say they put us in a Petri dish, he implies by saying to get infected that it was intentional. So yeah. whether, you know, I think the government incompetence idea is a canard that they're actually sinister, like what he's saying. But even if they're not, if you're incompetent and have the power of force to take a private cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, and tell them what to do, in probably every single case you can think of, government action was worse than what the private sector was actually doing. Even on 9-11, yeah. it was the government who was in charge of the screening, not the private sector. Absolutely. Just think about what they're doing today or what they did yesterday and today in releasing those passengers. Basically, they're saying there's another 100 people infected. The number is almost up to 600 now. We know that we completely failed with this quarantine and it's allowed the virus to spread. And we know that people who tested negative originally that stayed on the ship ended up showing a positive test result. Now everybody gets to go home. Right. Our bad. But what are you going to do? Right. See, that's the other thing. They're so controlled. They don't care about efficiency at all. The government, they'll be so wasteful, so many layers of regulatory fail saves and all that. Yet when these 14 people who were had been cleared for evacuation as they were going down the runway, someone ran up the test results, the test results, the 14 people are infected. And they're just like, eh, we're almost on the plane. Yeah, come on. Don't worry. If you run, you can make it. If you run. But here's the thing. So they're telling us, oh, this is a flu that takes 14 to 24 days to incubate. I, I have been doing some research and I don't find any flus that ever, ever do that. But it is true that if you're infected, you can be contagious before you're symptomatic for a day or two. So any run of the mill flu could have the, you would never put somebody who tested positive, especially someone who recently converted to positive. You would, you'd like, oh, this person is about to get symptoms, probably. Certainly some of them will. And then they're going to be coughing and sneezing. So you can have a carrier who's asymptomatic, but they really have to like, you got to make out with them. 
But somebody who's about to erupt into symptoms, you don't say, eh, we'll let this one slide. It's right. just preposterous. But they're doing everything to let it slide, to make the virus spread more. Three quick things on that. They talked about how they don't know all of the possible means of transmission. So I expect that we're going to get some news about we've discovered a new means of transmission of the virus. And it's going <laughs> to make it scary. that's ridiculous. It's a flu. Right. You know what I mean? It's just the vapor from your face gets into my face. That's how you spread it. It's a respiratory illness. Another way that it could spread, and this was mentioned, and I went, oh, my gosh, that, I, that makes sense, is cell phones. We don't wash our cell phones. Our cell phones are filthy. Germs are all over those cell phones. That's a cell phone addiction. People who even wash their hands and stay clean and have a hazmat suit on, they're still checking their cell phone every couple of seconds. A cell phone is going to be a peach tree dish for carrying diseases. It would really only be, though, if you used your cell phone and, hand, and handed it to somebody else, which probably happens a million times a day. Oh, dad wants to talk to you. But that's it. Because just putting it down on a surface... Like surface-to-surface-to-surface contact, it is very slim chance. But if you lent your cell phone to somebody. Right. Don't let somebody with a coronavirus positive test (laughs) use your cell phone. Just to have normal habits of sanitation and nutrition, and you will never get the kind of infections that we had 100 years ago. Yeah. And one final thing here. Along with releasing them into cabbies, and what cab, these must have to trick these cab drivers. Or is a guy driving a cab in a full hazmat? I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. But they released them into train stations into Japan. Last week, there was a story in the BBC that was about how the London train stations, the underground train stations, could be the biggest incubator. They were comparing to the ship of the virus. It could spread rapidly through those train stations. And because one of, the, of the, pl- the circulatory mechanisms, right? The air conditioning, that can do it. That can do it. And all the people that concentrate down there traveling. It's a concentration of people. Every yes, day yes, yes, right. Absolutely, yes. And the train station in Japan, they have bullet trains that are similar. I mean, they're different styles, but... Groups of people. Why would you release it? Why would you allow them to go into these? Here's one place where there's a bunch of people that you can infect. Now here's another where there's even more people that you can. Who's infect. going in there? The people that were just released from the. You're saying Diamond they were Princess. they were using public transportation? Yeah, they were getting cabbies. They were going to the train station. These are the people that get, they have to call back in and check on. That That's some of them are going to go AWOL. Just ridiculous. Yeah, if you've been on a ship, they're setting people up to go AWOL too. If you've been on a ship for two weeks and you haven't had symptoms, but you've been around people that have. You're not. You might have contracted it a day ago. See, that's the thing. Like that is the truth. That you could. I mean, that that is what will happen. These things have tails, and then second generations and all that, and then second generations could be more virulent. That's what happened in Cambodia. Is that exact thing? The when the eighty-three-year-old woman got off the uh, the boat, that old lady got off and spread it. Oh my gosh! Well, that full hazmat uniform for workers is in one of the calls to action, one of the seven action items coming out of Event 201. Yeah. Out of the simulation was to have to train workers to work in hazmat uniforms so your taxi driver may use a hazmat uniform. But, you know, these conspiracy theories that we're talking about, which is that they're doing it on purpose, that it's clear that they're being so incompetent, it has to be intentional. The conspiracy theory was an essential element of the event, what appears to me to be, I'm theorizing, an Event 201 conspiracy to use a pandemic or threat of pandemic to usher in widespread censorship. 
and yeah. you know, suppressing That's like fundamental any kind of speculation. To it. Yeah, yeah, fundamental to it. Right. So it, these conspiracy theories are part of the conspiracy. It gets real meta these days, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes, yes, it does. I mean, this is a test. That ship was a test. That cruise ship, it had to be. But here's the thing. This this speaks to, speaking of meta, this is such a great example of, or, or brings to mind questions to me around what James Corbett has popularized, if not invented, this idea of 3D chess. So the CDC head for China, George Gao, was in on this event 201 thing. Right, so it looks like they're in on it. They probably don't care about their reputation. I don't know what's going on with that. Are we really against them? How does this play into Hong Kong? We started the Hong Kong protest. Did we do it for them? I don't know. And then we have all this Huawei stuff where there there were two articles in the paper today of one, how they want to change laws so that companies in the U.S. that want to sell to China in a broader category of items have to get special licenses for national security reasons because you don't want to help them in certain defense applications. And similarly, that their media outlets, one overtly owned by the government, the other one is not and will not register as a foreign agent. And then I kind of dug in a little bit and Huawei and ZTE Corp are two competing companies. ZTE Corp, like they do the same thing over there, and we have punished them to the point where they're not even in the news. They're done, I think, so far. But they are more than 50% owned by the government. Huawei supposedly is, or I, I mean, I've read plenty on it. They are, their official ownership is the labor union. And it is not, it's not, it's supposedly not a government entity. Now they're saying that that is effectively the Communist Party. However, I really don't know. I mean, it's that ZTE thing is 51 or more percent Chinese government and the rest is private. It's privately run. It's partially privately owned. I mean, they call, that's that seems more like fascism to me. So I really do not know how their how their systems work over there. But it's seeming more and more to me that this attack on their technology is not really about national security, but it's really about competitiveness, trade, cronyism. But I, I just look at these things and it looks like the coronavirus thing is something they are cooperating with. They're feeding into all of the uh, elements that promote these all these crises that are going to promote the exact action items that they were after. Yet at other levels of the chessboard, it looks like they're in a real battle. Yeah, it does look like they're in a real battle. Something's going on here with the way China is being shown to the world, or at least to America. People had kind of a distant sense of China being a bad guy before, being a totalitarian state with a dictator. But now China, through this virus, through Huawei stories, through these Chinese espionage stories in America going on, with the Harvard teacher who got money from China, got arrested through the Equifax hacks here in Atlanta, the indictments that were Chinese military that did it, is what they say anyway. China is being front and center put forth as one head of an evil enemy. That not only threatens us from afar, but now because of these hacks, threatens us personally in our homeland. And they might, if they frame this as China is either careless or they're actually developing bioweapons with potential viruses, that could add on top of that. That just folds in with what we've been seeing over the past couple of years with the presenting Russia as a great evil, presenting Iran as a great evil, kind of shifting these three. Now, I know Russia, Iran, and China don't always get together and get along. In fact, Russia is not allowing any Chinese citizens in this country right now. But those three, we said it before, I believe are going to be the access of evil, perhaps. And they are getting all getting their share of time 
in the public square. Americans seeing them as, oh, no, we got to fight them. There's nothing we can do. We have to fight against these evils before they take away our way of life. And the Brits, we're trying to convince them not to let China put Huawei technology in. They are doing it anyway, which makes me wonder. The Brits always go with the country they think is going to win the war. That's what they did. That's why they piggyback us. That's why they manipulate us. I'm wondering if in a future war, they're going to choose China and America is going to be put up as the demon scapegoat worldwide. I disagree with the war interpretation. I think this is really about trade. I think it's about money. And I think the failing in how to analyze this might be in not on your part, but what I'm struggling with is that the we talk about the rulers of China as having this China centric viewpoint, total China idea, the long-term plan, and all that kind of stuff. If they're as corrupted as ours are, and why wouldn't they be, their interests, it's like when I started, the way I started thinking about Iran. If they, if they're, if their personal interests or whatever their elites, really, it's, I would guess would be if the interests of the elite has nothing to do with China, its viability, its reputation, any of that. And they're willing to play this international propaganda game because those videos are coming out of China. They're coming out of China. Yeah. It, it's hard. I, I've never seen I never saw any videos ever about forced abortions. I just got a forced abortion. Help me, please. Yeah. You know, they're after me because they want to force me to have an abortion. Like, why didn't we ever see any of that? For some one reason or another, the propaganda machine didn't want us to see it. Yet we are seeing this. There are different interpretations, but I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced. And I think that that China is going to plug into our trade deals ultimately. And this might be propaganda for their audiences. I think it's propaganda for everybody's audiences worldwide. And I think both of these things can be true. I think the elites in China I almost kind of look at it like... Yeah, war get, could be a backstop. A backstop. We could do it this way or... If it doesn't work out, we'll just have a war. Everybody likes the wars, too. Right. All that, wars are bankers' what, wars. Right. And if they don't care about their people, it's another population it, control. If they can't actually gin up a pandemic because we're all obsessively washing our hands, well, they'll have to go. just have a war. And that's exactly— <laughs> And everybody like, likes that. I go back and forth, but I kind of see it as these elites in these other parts of the world. I kind of see them as frenemies with each other. They work together— controlling the world, dominating, do whatever. But they're also, I believe, working to outwit and try and dominate each other as well. I think there's probably some competition going on there. So I, I can see the, the elites over in China seeing their population as pawns in the game. I think the best analogy, the very best analogy of how power works at that level is the five families of the mafia. Okay, yeah. The five families, so they are all together in on it bribing politicians and making sure whatever at some level they'll like as a unit negotiate with foreign entities somebody will sometimes break off and make their own deal with the french mob if one guy gets out of line or if another guy wants to be more powerful one of those guys does get taken out and then his underlings come up but they get the message and do they really care about the little guy who hasn't made his bones yet probably not do they care about you and your liquor store not at all that's the last thing they care about. And when it's a, a war between you and them, they're definitely going to have a roundtable discussion about how to handle you. I think that is an excellent way to look at it. Thank and, you very uh, much. Yeah, we'll have some more developments tomorrow. I do have – I want to ask you another 
libertarian perspective on an interesting story tomorrow about some risque video <laughs> being shot in a public library in California. Okay, I look forward to that. And uh, I wanted to tell people who are interested in a little lighter content, I had a really, really fun time talking to Dave at the Make Liberty Great Again Network. He has a show called The Morning Drive. You can get it at MLGANetwork.com. I'm like maybe the fifth one they have on their homepage right now. But I kind of let my hair down because it was very late. And... There were a couple of interesting, amusing stories about the day I moved to Texas and the day my dad taught me how to ride a motorcycle. Oh. So these are stories you haven't heard, Binkley. You might want to listen yeah, to the morning drive <laughs> with Dave. So I encourage people to listen to that. Maybe I'll ask him if we can put it on our feed so you can get some of that. Anyway, so tomorrow, all right, you can pick my libertarian brain and we'll bring you the news of the day as usual. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. on thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We'll talk to you all tomorrow.